0: Amen. I just wanted to keep singing. Man, that was great. Thank you, team, for leading us so well. And I didn't get to do it, so I want to do it again. He is risen! Amen. Amen. Uh, If you brought a Bible, I'll encourage you to grab it, and you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to eventually get there. Um, But kids, um, there's no kids zone, but Emily has prepared some activity bags for you. And so parents, if some of your younger kids, I don't want to see like dads going to get an activity bag, okay, settle down. Uh, But if you got some younger kids who need some activities, uh, there's bags in the lobby there and you can uh, go grab one of those to keep your little ones occupied. But this morning uh, is obviously so important because we serve a risen Savior. Jesus is not dead. He did not stay dead. Um, If you were with us on Friday, right, Good Friday is uh, the the day where we celebrate and remember and kind of meditate on the death of Jesus, that he was crucified for us, for our sins, and he was buried, and so we we kind of spent some time on Friday talking about the forgiveness that Jesus uh, offers to us because of his death. And then in turn, right, our theme for this whole weekend has been one. There is one sacrifice, one Savior, once for all. And today there is one Lord, one faith, one church. This kind of unity that exists. And and so because of that, Jesus forgives us an enormous debt of sin. And so in turn, we're called to forgive one another. But here's the deal. Today is so important because if jesus is still dead then really none of this matters right if jesus is still dead then then we're kind of wasting our time here this morning but because he rose from the dead and he commissioned his disciples with the holy spirit and he gave us the mission to be on until he until he returns then this morning we want to talk about well what does that mean for us as a church how are you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, how are you and I one in him? But to begin with, like I said, we, have to, we just kind of have to talk for a few minutes about why the resurrection matters so much. Um, Jesus said some pretty remarkable things during his life on earth. And if you've been with us as we've gone through the Gospel of John, you'll know that Jesus said some pretty unbelievable things. right? He said that he was divine jesus said multiple times that he was god himself he claimed that he had authority to forgive sin he he said that he had authority to heal people to cast out demons he made himself one with god and he predicted on multiple occasions if you read the gospels he predicted that he would die and that three days later he would be raised from the dead and so here's, here's what that means. If Jesus had been crucified and buried and then nothing ever happened, if he actually remained dead, then we would conclude that Jesus was a liar or uh, an insane person who said just crazy things about himself. Like if you and I can go over and see the bones of Jesus in a tomb, then he was a crazy person. For saying that he was God and that he could forgive sin and that he could heal people. But just like we sang, Jesus did exactly what he said he would do. He said, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, and then three days later I'm going to be raised from the dead. And he did it. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians about the resurrection of Jesus. He says, and if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Basically, Paul says, like, if Jesus is still dead, then me standing up here talking about him is pointless. It's foolishness, and you sitting here wasting a perfectly good Sunday would be foolishness if Jesus was still dead, right? He goes on, and he says in verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, and if, if in Christ we have hope in this life only... We are of all people most to be pitied. So Paul says the resurrection of Jesus is absolutely crucial to our faith. If he's still dead, then me standing up here preaching is pointless. You sitting there listening is pointless. pointless. Your faith is pointless. We're all still dead in our sin. Those loved ones that, that have died believing in Jesus, they're gone. And Paul says that we would be pitied by all people. But Jesus is who he says he is. He's not just some great rabbi. He's not just some wonderful teacher. He's not just a prophet. Jesus is the son of God, the Messiah. He is Lord. And he was raised from the dead, and and if you read the end of Matthew, Jesus is raised from the dead, he meets with his disciples. We're told that actually, Paul says that 500 people at one time saw Jesus alive, so it's not as if one or two guys said, like, yeah, I saw Jesus alive, and we all roll our eyes. Hundreds of people saw him alive. And then he gathers his disciples before he's going to ascend into heaven, return to his father and he he gathers them and he commissions them so in Matthew 28 it says this when they saw him they worshiped him but some doubted and Jesus came and said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and behold i'm with you always to the end of the age and then jesus ascends into heaven so jesus says now all authority has been given to me why because he died and rose again because he is who he says he is he has been given all authority in heaven and on earth and so then he commissions his disciples that's you and me right he says go and make more disciples basically go tell people about me, Jesus says, and then baptize them and then teach them everything that I've taught you. In, in, in simple, t- it's, it's actually quite a simple mission, right? When you think about it, I think sometimes we've overcomplicated it. Jesus says, go tell people about me, baptize them, and then teach them what I've taught you. And we go, okay, that seems simple enough, right? And then the rest of the New Testament... Uh, there's the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church, how they, how they did just that, how they spread out across the Middle East and Asia, and, and how the gospel spread and churches were planted. And then the rest of the New Testament is Paul and Peter and other apostles writing letters to those churches, dealing with problems, talking about theology and doctrine, encouraging these communities as they follow Jesus. So as a church then, as believers, as this community of the forgiven, what does that actually look like then? right? Like I said before, our theme for this whole Easter weekend has been the idea of one, the unity that we have in one another and in Jesus because he died and rose from the dead. And so we want to ask this morning, well, what does that actually like practically look like? Because Jesus is alive, what does that look like in in regards to unity as us, uh, uh, as believers? And what is that based on? Right? I mean, we throw it around a lot. Yeah, we're all one. We have unity in Jesus. What does that actually mean? So Ephesians 4, uh, Paul says some amazing things about what this looks like in the church. So starting in verse 4. This is what Paul says. He's writing to a church. So if you, can, if you can picture, it was probably smaller than this, but a church in an ancient city of Ephesus, and he wrote a letter, and they would stand, and they would read, hey, we got another letter from Paul, and he's addressing the church. And he's saying, this is who you are. Verse four, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is over all and through all and in all so you may have noticed there's a lot of one language seven ones that paul uses he says you 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 uh there's one body one spirit one hope one lord one faith one baptism one god so seven ones And so what we want to do this morning is just kind of go through each one and then just talk about, like, what does that look like for us as the church in 2022 in Fort St. John? What does that mean for us? So to start, Paul says there's only one body. And what he means by that, the word body just means church. He's talking about the church. There is one single visible community of believers. There is one church, one body. And, and this is not just a, a, like, mystical concept. It's not just like, yeah, we're all one, right? It's not like, you know, hippies who are like, yeah, man, we're one. It's not just a mystical concept, right? It's not like some abstract idea. Like, Paul means, literally, there's one church. We're one, right? And yes, I know that we have smaller congregations of believers and yes i mean we could spend hours talking about different denominations and blah 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 and all that kind of stuff but brass tacks like bottom line paul says there is one body i remember i I was at a conference uh probably five six years ago now and it was a church planting conference down in vancouver and basically the whole idea of the conference is uh, from across canada different pastors came of of, you know, all all over with this idea of, like, let's be equipped, let's learn how do churches plant churches, right? So this was early on, and so, like, you think now, like, uh, we're so excited that we're planting Dawson Creek, right, Creekside Fellowship, so this was kind of the beginning of this kind of, what would it look like to be a church that plants churches? So I'm at this conference, and there was probably six, seven hundred pastors there, and I I remember one of the hosts got up, on uh the first night and said can anybody guess how many churches are represented here and so I started because I'm very competitive and you can ask I'm like is there a prize involved if I can guess correctly (laughs) so I'm thinking okay I know I talked to a Baptist guy in the 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 lobby I'm from the MB because that's two I know there were some Pentecostals here because they were like going crazy during worship so so, we love you Uh, so there was three so I'm guessing right there's like five six I don't know let's say a dozen different kind of churches represented And I remember, people are doing the same thing, so it wasn't just me. And then he said, do you know how many churches are represented? One. And we all just kind of went, man, he's so right. Immediately, we were like, there's 12, 15, 30, 40, 80 churches represented. And he was right. He said, there is one church represented in this room. Paul says there's one body. Right, 1 Corinthians 12. He says this, for just as the body is one, and as many members, he's talking about your human body, just like your body you have one body but it's made up of all of these different members and all the members of the body though many are one body so it is with Christ for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body Jew or Greek slave or free and all were made to drink of one spirit so there's one body there's only one church Paul says and then he goes on he says one there's one spirit and he's talking about the Holy Spirit there's only one spirit. So just like you as a person, if you think, like you have one body, right? And, and be, you have one body, but you also, you have one spirit. Just like that, the church, which scripture calls the body of Christ, there's one body and there is only one spirit. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And because you have the Holy Spirit and the person sitting next to you, if they're a believer, they have the Holy Spirit. I have the, the Holy Spirit in me. I mean, there's only one Spirit, right? And so that leads to unbelievable unity. You have the same Spirit that I have. There's only one. Like Romans 8, Paul says, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal Bodies. Paul says that same spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, if you are a follower of Jesus, he lives in you. There's only one spirit. And so we have one body, one church, and the same Holy Spirit dwells in each one of us. We're unified in that. Thirdly, Paul says, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. So what is our one hope? And the hope is eternal life, right? The hope is that we're going to enjoy the presence of God forever in resurrection glory. The hope is Jesus ascended into heaven, but he said, I'm going to come back, right? So we're waiting, and it's been 2,000 years, and we're waiting, and the hope that we have is because Jesus has done everything else that he said he would do, we can trust and hope that he's coming back. And that when he comes back, he's going to usher in this future resurrection glory, and we're going to dwell with God forever. He's coming back for us. You and I as believers, we don't have individual separate hopes. Paul says we have one hope. Um, I remember when we, uh, uh, my family used to live in Ontario, uh, grew up there, and every, not every year, but a few years in a row, we would go drive down to somewhere in the southern states over Christmas for vacation every year. And I remember the first time that we went to Florida. We drove down, so we drove from Ontario all the way down to Florida in an old station wagon. And, uh, and so we were so excited to go to Florida, right? And so I know that different people in my family, I have three sisters, and so my mom and my dad and me and my three sisters, we were all hoping to do different things when we got to Florida. Right? Like, I, I was really hoping that we would go to Disney World. Because I'm like, we're going all that way. Why would we not go to Disney World? And so, spoilers, we actually didn't go to Disney World. And I still make fun of my dad for that. I'm like, why would you drive, like, 40 hours and not take us to Disney World? It's too expensive. Um, but I was hoping, like, the whole way down. I'm like, there's, there's no way we're not going. I'm so hopeful that we're going to go to Disneyland. And I know my older sisters, they were hoping that they were, we were just going to go to the beach. We just want to go to the beach every day. Right, And I know my mom was more like hoping for, can we just have peace and quiet? right? That's what she's hoping for. And my dad is just hoping to hit some good restaurants and, and eat some good food. right? So we're one family in a station wagon driving to Florida, but we have like eight different hopes. I hope for this, I'm hoping for this, I'm hoping for this. And now listen, it's a silly example. But the church, right, we're one body. And we're not sitting here with 800 different hopes for the future. Paul says there's one hope. That's it, Jesus returning, right? That is collectively our hope as believers. That unifies us. So think about it already. We're talking about us being one. Well, there's only one church, there's only one spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's dwelling in each of us and we collectively have one hope. What's your hope for the future? Jesus coming back, me too. So there's unity in that. Then Paul goes on, verse 5. There's one Lord. So based on his death and resurrection, Jesus is Lord. He, he told his disciples, I've been given all authority. And so we submit to Jesus, right? We have one Lord, even Philippians two, um, P- Paul begins by by saying that you know uh, Christ humbled Himself, didn't even consider equality with God something that could be grasped, but He laid aside uh, uh, like every right to that, and He He went to His death, and now because of His resurrection, it says in Philippians two, therefore God has highly exalted Him, and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I mean there's one Lord. It's It's Jesus. And when, and when Paul says that every knee is going to bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, he's not talking about universalism, that one day we're all going to love Jesus. He means when Jesus returns, there's going to be those who bow the knee and confess you are Lord willingly, as if they're going, finally, here is my Lord. And there's going to be those who bow the knee and confess Jesus is Lord in defeat. Saying, I was wrong. Jesus is Lord. Now, there's a movement in our part of the world to accept many lords. You can have all sorts of lords. Everyone can kind of be right. Right? Even uh, the, the, the term for it is omnism. It's the idea that all religions are right. So, omnism. The idea that, yes, you know, Buddhists, uh, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, uh, Sikhs, Muslims, like whatever, everybody is right. All roads lead to God. They're just different paths, right? Remember if you, it was years ago now, but Oprah talked about that, right? At the, if if the, the top of the mountain is heaven, well then all these different li- religions are just on different paths up the same mountain, right? That's omnism, it's the idea that everyone is right. There's multiple lords. Um, Ellen Burstein, who's, a, who's, an, act, who's an actress, She said this, I am a spirit opening to the truth that lives in all of these religions. I always pray to spirit, but sometimes it's to the goddess. Sometimes it's to Jesus. Sometimes I pray to Ganesha if I need an obstacle removed. Guan Yin is one of my favorite manifestations of the divine. The embodiment of compassion. So I have Guan Yin with me all the time. I mean, John Coltrane, if you like jazz, John Coltrane, the jazz Musician, he was an omnist. He said, "I just believe in all religions. We're all right. Everyone's going to the same place." But here's the deal: Jesus doesn't allow that kind of belief system. <laughs> Jesus didn't die on the cross, and he wasn't raised from the dead so that you could pray to him, but also pray to Ganesha and Guan Yin and the goddess. Right? Is he Lord? I mean, this is why the early church was killed because they refused to acknowledge anyone else as Lord. It was like, yeah, sure, okay, you early Christians, you can, set, you can worship Jesus, but then just take a little pinch and like offer some, some, some incense to other deities. Offer it to Caesar, offer it to all of our other temples. Just be like this, be, be omnists with us. We don't care if you worship Jesus as well, but you just gotta worship everybody else, right? And Christians were set apart because they said, no, we refuse to worship anyone else. There is one Lord. So this unites us as believers. Well, it should at least. Right? If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the same Lord that I do. Now, we can get into all sorts of things. Like Christians, I mean, we worship all sorts of other things. And we say Jesus is Lord, but also money is Lord. Or other things, right? But we're not going to go down all those rabbit trails today. But Jesus is Lord. There is one Lord. Then Paul continues, there's one faith. And our, our faith, you could talk about the, the doctrinal truths that we confess. Right? That's what, what unites us. We, we, in this room, on, like, primary things of the faith, we believe the same thing. Is Jesus God? Right? I'm, I'm hoping that we would all say yes. Right? Is salvation through Jesus alone and we would all go yes. Amen. Those are primary things. That's that's what unites us in our faith We all believe that the, the same thing. How are we saved? Who's the Trinity? How has God revealed himself to us? What is the Bible? What is what has authority in our lives? We would all agree on those primary things now Paul's not talking about secondary beliefs He's not talking about secondary issues, you know. Well, I was baptized by dunking or I was baptized by sprinkling. I think the Bible would say, who cares? Were you baptized? Great. Right? Or you go, you know, I have views about uh, complementarianism or egalitarianism, and some of you who don't know those words, don't worry about. It. Or like women in ministry or not in ministry, and there's different views about that. Does that save you? No. Or church governance, how is the elder board structured? But none of that saves you. So it's not a faith issue, right? We can, we can disagree. And I've had great discussions with some of you who disagree on those secondary issues, and yet there's one faith, right? Who is Jesus? How are we saved? Who is God? What is the Bible? Those are faith issues. And so Paul says there's one faith. And so that means like we don't, we don't have unity with people who believe different things on, like, primary issues, right? Like, if, if, if Mormons came to us and said, hey, can we have unity with you? We would go, no, you don't believe in the Jesus that I believe in. You deny that he's God. We can't have unity, right? You're of a different faith. You're, you're outside the faith. So we share one faith. Again, think about that. That unites us. Then Paul says there's one Baptism. And there's debate about this. Is Paul talking about baptism of the Spirit? Does he mean water baptism? Most likely, Paul is talking about water baptism. There's one baptism. So that means there's not like levels of Christianity, depending on how many times you've been baptized. There's not different baptisms, right? We at this church, we don't baptize babies who can't believe, can't Give an expression of belief and faith in Jesus. We don't re-baptize people. I've had a conversation one time of a guy that came and he said, I was baptized, but I don't really think I knew what I was doing. Should I get rebaptized? Well, there's only one baptism. So no, I don't think you need to go and like make sure it sticks this time. It doesn't work like that. Right? There's one baptism and that unites us as believers. Like when you are baptized, you are identifying with a people group. You're saying, hey, I am now identified. I'm your brother. I'm your sister in Christ. So there's one baptism that unites us. And lastly, Paul says, there's one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. And basically, God is, or Paul is just showing us that God is sovereign. He's omnipresent. He's with us. There's only one God. There's not hundreds of gods. There's not millions of gods. There's one God. So you have this incredible list of ones, right? There's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and that is all possible, and that's all true because Jesus rose from the dead. He is our one Lord. We are his body. There's one body, like if he's dead, then, then none of this matters. And so you get this sense that the church, this group of forgiven disciples of Jesus, were called to have this same kind of oneness. But the question is, how do we actually live like this? Right? It, sound, it sounds great, like pie in the sky, like, yes, one Lord, one faith, one path. Yes, unity. But I don't know if you've, like, observed the church throughout history. There's a lot of disunity here. <laughs> like since since Jesus left like the New Testament Paul's writing and Peter's writing and I can just I I resonate with them it's like they're pulling their hair out going like oh here we go again Corinth let me write to you again what are you guys doing and the church is going I follow Paul and I follow Peter and they're bickering and arguing and so we're called to unity And yet there's always been disunity. So how do we actually practically live like this? This oneness between one another. This unity around our faith and our Lord and our hope. And I think Paul actually tells us in the first three verses of chapter 4. Before he gets to the seven ones, he starts by saying this in Ephesians 4 verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And then he gets, there's, there's one body and one spirit, and right, he gets into the seven ones, but he starts by saying, listen, I'm a prisoner, and I'm urging you, church, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, and eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. So what does it mean when Paul says, walk in a, in a manner worthy of this calling that's on us? Well, in Ephesians, Paul has just spent three chapters showing the manner in which we've been called. Right, he says, you've been predestined and chosen before the world was even made by grace through faith, your salvation is a gift from God. You were dead in your sins, but now God has made you alive and He seated you with Jesus. And the walls of hostility have been torn down and now there's one man made out of the two. It's not Jew and Gentile, it's not Greek, and slave. it's not any of those things. There's one new man made out of the two. You've been adopted into God's family. He's, he, you're being built into a dwelling place for God's spirit. That's the manner by which we've been called. And now Paul says, live like it. So I'll give you an example. Um, Before I got married, um, it might shock you, but I was a bit of like a daredevil, liked to do things that got the heart pumping, you know? And so I would skateboard a lot, and I know, I know, you're like, he looks so cool like a skateboarder. Uh, But I skateboarded a lot. And we would do things in high school, and even into university, and even in my young adult years. Like there was, I still hold the world record, uh, this is not skateboarding, but being towed behind a car on a toboggan in Rockland, Ontario. 80 kilometers an hour, behind a car. And we didn't think through, what happens if I slam the brakes? Nah, we'll worry about that when it happens. Uh, and so I would do things like that. One time we climbed up onto some portables and we'd skateboarded and tried to jump the gap between one portable to the other, right? And I would do things like this and be holding onto bumpers of cars while we're skateboarding and I would do all these crazy things because um, it was fun. <laughs> and then I got married. And my wife <laughs> and then we had kids. And so here, the added responsibility right, placed on me Right? I can't just go and do stupid things now because I have a wife. And now I have kids. And I remember a few times early on, like, my wife Molly could have easily said, Hey, Andrew, live in a manner worthy of like, where you're at in life now. Don't go do foolish things. You can't just make decisions like that and just like, risk death because I- you have a wife now. And you have kids at home now. And so my circumstances changed how I viewed life. I went, yeah, you're right. I, I can't make really silly decisions anymore. I have to actually think of my circumstances, of my wife and kids and my responsibilities. I have to live in that reality. right? I have to live in a manner that fits my reality. And so, so Christians, we often accept the gospel but then we just want to live in our old reality. Like scripture says, you've been called into the kingdom of Jesus. You're called to live in his kingdom, but oftentimes, and I myself catch myself, I'm still living in the kingdom of darkness. I'm not living in a manner worthy of, of the call that's been on my life. It's like I accept the call, I go, yep, Jesus, thank you for saving me, but now I want to live the way I used to live. Right, you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to be and act like people of the age to come. Right? When Jesus returns, he's going to bring in this new age, and we're called to live as best as we can in that reality. We live as those types of people. And yet we often, and I often, live as people of this age. I just do what everyone else does. So here's some examples. Don't believe me. Here's some examples. You might be going, nah, that's not true. I am living in the, we do this with money, right? The world says you need to have as much money as you possibly can. You need to work, you need to overwork so that you can earn hundreds of thousands of dollars because money equals happiness. And you, you deserve a, a better truck and you deserve a bigger house and you deserve all of these toys. And, and, and our culture would say, just fill your life up and worship money now as people of the age to come people in the kingdom of jesus jesus says don't store up treasures on earth what are you doing store treasures in heaven and yet we go yes i love jesus and yet i kind of want treasures on earth so we're living in this kingdom i mean we do this with with media we just consume media and I do this, too. So I'm, I'm just like you, where we go, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, and yet what I put into my mind, what I watch and read and consume, that's what the rest of the world does. So am I really living as someone who, who's of the age to come? Like, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Paul says, look at the gospel. Look at the death and resurrection of Jesus and what that accomplished. Now live in a manner that's worthy of that, and then he tells us how we do this, right? He doesn't just leave us to go scratch our heads and go, well, how do I, how do I live in that kind of manner? He tells us. He says, have humility, right? Live in the manner by which you've been called. Verse two, with all humility. Now I'm going to try and say this Greek word, but it's like 15 letters long. The word humility in Greek is tapenefrosune. So good luck but it means lowliness of mind it means do you have an accurate view of yourself do you have a a lowliness of mind now i think many of us struggle with this because we live in a world that says no you need to have highness of mind you need to have high self-esteem you need to love yourself you need to make yourself number one so even i know when i read the definition lowliness of mind some of you might be going what, I'm just supposed to think I'm garbage? No, that's not what it means. It means have an accurate view of yourself. So no one in the kingdom of God walks around with a, a swagger. Nobody. Right? No one walks around in the kingdom of God going like, I'm pretty great. Look at all the things I've done. Everyone in the kingdom of God walks with a limp. Everybody. And so viewing others in the church as more important than you. Right, so, so viewing the person in the, in the, down the pew to go, I'm actually gonna view them and treat them as if they're more important than I am. That's humility. I have, a, I have a proper view of myself in light of the cross. I have lowliness of mind. Paul says that's one way that you live in the manner worthy of the calling. You, you are humble. Secondly, he says with gentleness and that's the Greek prautes, which means mildness power with reserve it means control so that so then ask am I harsh in my interaction with others right because we're called to be gentle and Christians are really bad at this right in the name of speaking the truth in love we are not gentle with each other because I think many of us view gentleness as weakness so we're like, hey, hold this. I got to go speak the truth and love to somebody, <laughs> right? And we do that. And we're like, I'm just defending truth. And we are not gentle with one another. Because I think many of us, when we hear the word gentle, especially men, when you hear the word gentle, you think effeminate. Women are gentle. I'm not supposed to be gentle. Yes, you are. Jesus was gentle. And gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is actually control over how you respond to people. So let me give you an example when it comes to disciplining kids, right? So we have three kids, and my middle child is much more sensitive than my oldest child. And uh, Molly, my wife, often says, "Like, man, she's just got you wrapped around your finger." And, and 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 when we're disciplining our children, I I have I've caught myself that I am much easier on my one middle child than on my oldest child. And I remember Molly, a few years ago maybe, said to me, "Like, do you realize that you are actually like, way harsher with our oldest than with our middle child? And I would just come down so hard, right? And not in gentleness. We're called to be gentle with one another as, as believers. Even Galatians 6 talks about when you find someone in sin in the church, Paul actually says, restore them with a spirit of gentleness. And yet, when we, often when we catch each other in sin, it's like, I'm going to restore you, all right? But Paul says, actually, restore them with what? With gentleness. And I think sometimes we go, well, that's just us going soft on sin. No, it's not. Paul says, restore that person. But as you're doing it, be gentle with them. So that's one way we walk in a manner worthy of the calling. We are gentle with one another. Are we patient with one another? Literally, it means long-suffering, which makes sense, because it feels like I'm suffering <laughs> when I have to wait. But are we patient? Do we actually wait sufficient time before expressing anger, or do we blow up at each other as brothers and sisters? Are we patient with one another? Do we actually do we, do we suffer with each other? Right? Are we slow to speak, quick to listen? Paul then says, bearing with one another in love. That means just enduring with one, in, one another. Persisting in our relationships. Do we endure with each other? And then lastly, he says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. In the bond of peace. Think about that. Are you someone who is eager to maintain unity? Uh, in my years of ministry, I, I've actually seen a lot of times. I think we're more eager to have disunity and to divide over things. Um, Tom Rayner, who is a a writer, and he's um, he does a, a bunch of like stats and surveys and, and just some data about the American church. Um, he did this survey and he did a, a, a with a, a bunch of people, and he was asking what are reasons that you've been a part of where churches have split or you as an individual have left a church. You just wanted to gather, you know, here's some top reasons why um, churches split or disunity happens or people leave the church. And I know that right away you're probably thinking of like, okay, well, heresy was being taught. That's got to be one of the top ones. Or like, you know, someone on staff had an affair and so it caused the church, but it's got to be serious ones. Here are some of the, these are not made up. Okay, I have to preface it because they're ridiculous, but they're not made up. Here are reasons, I'm gonna give you a handful of reasons that churches split or people, individuals left a church. Argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. Which, I mean, obviously, it's very serious. Whether or not we use church land to build a children's playground or a cemetery. I'm like, go with the playground, let's have some life, right? But people, we're out of here. 45-minute heated discussion over the type of filing cabinet to purchase, black or brown, with two, three, or four drawers. People left a church. A fight over which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer. Or the foyer. Oh, my, oh, my wife's American is coming out. The foyer. And I'm like, I don't want to spoil that, but a picture of Jesus... You're arguing over which picture of Jesus to hang in your lobby? Petition to have all church staff clean shaven, which I told Corlin, that's coming, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Communion was cranberry grape over straight grape. The church moved to a stronger blend of coffee and members left the church, which that one just doesn't make any sense. We need stronger coffee. <laughs> There was a debate over whether we should serve deviled eggs at the potluck. And should we call it a potluck? We should call it a pot blessing. We don't believe in luck. Right? And we all like we all laugh, but like real people left real churches over these issues. Right? They they said like you know the the beards of the staff members are too long. We're out of here. And so Paul says, are you eager to maintain unity? Like even we've had people over you know, our eight years here, we've had people who have told me that we're leaving the church over things that were said and done. And some of them were, if I'm honest, just silly. Right, we used to years ago call all the kids up front to do like a special kids thing and we stopped doing that for lack of time. And I was told it's because this church hates children. We're out of here. I mean, we taught through uh, the the book of Revelation online on Wednesday nights, and someone was like, well, your view of the millennium is different than mine. We can't attend here anymore. Really? I remember when we uh, years ago did a a series uh, about um, being made in God's image and, and sexuality, and the comment was, Pastor Andrew talks about sex too much. So we're out of here right paul says are are you eager to maintain the unity of the spirit like i feel if if paul wrote a letter to the churches today he'd be what are you doing this is ridiculous to leave and to split and to have disunity over these kinds of things i told you to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit am i diligent to keep peace are we zealous for it Like, honestly, I think in my own heart, I don't even think like that. Okay, I want to be eager to maintain unity with my brothers and sisters. How can we have unity? So I think how we actually do this is that we always remember the manner in which we're called. We must have an accurate view of 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 ourselves. You have to have an accurate view of your salvation, of how Christ saved you. This is why we talk all the time about the death and resurrection of jesus that is the the manner by which you've been called into this family because jesus was crucified for you because he was raised from the dead that's the manner by which you've been called and then live like it with humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another eager to maintain the unity and so we always remember okay i'm supposed to have humility why because jesus was humble I'm supposed to be gentle with people why? Because Jesus was so and is so gentle with me. I'm supposed to be patient or be patient with people because how patient is God with me? And then we begin to pursue these things. I want to pursue humility And gentleness and patience and bearing with each other and then when you begin to see the opposite things bubble up and they just do because we're we have a a flesh and we're sinful and then pride bubbles up and harshness bubbles up and impatience and disunity and conflict then when that happens we go back to the cross is Jesus Lord was he raised from the dead yes then there's only one body and there's one spirit And there's one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and there's one God. And I need to be eager to maintain that kind of unity. Because he's Lord. Because he saved us. And because he commands us to live like this. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We want to just respond in singing. Again, continuing to celebrate. The, The reason that there only is, or that there's only one body and one spirit and one hope, and one Lord, and one faith, and one baptism, and one God, the reason that we can celebrate that is because Jesus is alive. Um, He's not dead. He is ruling and reigning, and so we want to celebrate that. And so Jesus, I just thank you that um, you you are our Lord that because you died and rose from the dead and because you gathered your disciples and before you ascended into heaven, you said, all authority has been given to me. So now, church, go and make disciples. and Baptize people and teach them to obey. And so Jesus, we have been commissioned. Literally, Christian means we are Messiah people. We're little Christs. Not in the sense that you are, but we follow you. You are the Christ. And we want to be like you. And so God, just forgive us as followers of Jesus when we do the opposite of what we're called to do. When we don't walk with humility and gentleness and patience and we don't bear with one another and forgive me when I am not eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Forgive us, God, when we cause disunity and we, we leave the body or, or, or we cause divisions because of really, God, at the end of the day, really silly things. God, we want to be unified. We are one church. We have one hope. There is one spirit. There is one baptism. There is one Lord that we serve one God. Help us to be people who live with that kind of unity that a world that is watching from the outside would look in and go, how on earth can this community of people love each other so well? How, like, I can't fathom how this community of diverse opinions and people can love each other so well. And so help us, Lord. We desperately need your help to live like this. I pray that each one of us would live in a manner worthy of how we were called so that you are made much of Jesus and that people come to know you through our witness in this community. And so now, God, we wanna respond in singing and worshiping you because you are our risen savior. All of this is possible because you died and rose from the dead. And so we just make much of you today and we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?